Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. Well, it was definitely a great week. Uh, I encourage you to to consider being part next year if you were not a part this year. And uh, VBS, as always, is just a a great opportunity to learn new dance moves. So, um, just, you know. Uh, We are continuing our series, Glory and Redemption. I just want to encourage you to open up your Bibles if you have them. We're going to be starting in Genesis chapter 28 today. We're going to be doing kind of an overview, like we did last week, where we're not just focusing on one small passage, but kind of running through the whole life of Jacob. And the reason we're taking some of these chunks faster is because the way this sermon series is laid out, it will take us the rest of the year just to get through brief overviews on some of these stories in the Old Testament. And um, we just didn't want to be like forever in this overview. Now, we will begin next year, early in the year, another book of the Bible where we'll get back into the verse-by-verse preaching, and there will be some verse-by-verse here and there, but just know that uh, for the next few months, we're going to stick with this overview, mostly because as the elders, as we discussed things and talked, we felt like as a church, we needed to have a really good handle on the Old Testament as a, and its big picture and how it brings us from Uh, the fall of mankind and prepares the way for Jesus Christ and how the whole Old Testament really is the story of God's glory and his plan of redemption for mankind. And it's all throughout the Old Testament, whether we're in Genesis or Exodus or Leviticus or Judges or Joshua or Kings or Chronicles or in the minor prophets, the major prophets or the stories like Ruth and Esther and Nehemiah, all of these books bring us from the fall and through God's plan of redemption to Jesus Christ, where we are ultimately able to experience redemption through trust in his work on the cross. And so last week we kind of ended up with Isaac. Isaac was the son of Abraham. Abraham was called by God to be his representative on earth and the man through whom and whose family through which God would bless all of mankind. And so This narrowing down to one specific family, one specific group of people, is how God gets us from fall to Jesus. And Abraham, one of his descendants, would be Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. And so we trace this lineage to understand who Jesus is and where he came from. And God had promised Abraham uh, this. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God chooses Abraham to both bless and bless the whole world through. And and so we see ultimately that blessing the whole world is Jesus. Now, A little bit later in Genesis, Abraham's son, his actual second son, remember he he and Sarai and and Hagar, they kind of chose to try and fulfill God's promises on their own, but that's for another Sunday that we've already done. Go back and listen to the recording. And um, 
But Isaac, the child of promise, the one that God had given Abraham when he was 100 years old and when Sarah was 90, he grows up and God makes the same promise to Isaac, the son of Abraham. The Lord appeared to him, Isaac, and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land that I tell you about. Stay in this land as an alien, and I will be with you and bless you. For I will give, you all, these land, or for I will give all these lands to you and your offspring, and I will confirm the oath that I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky. I will give your offspring all these lands, and in the nation, and, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring. Because Abraham listened to me and kept my mandate, my commands, my statutes, and my instructions. So we see that God has now passed the promise on from Abraham, who he initially chose, to Isaac, Abraham's son. And Isaac himself had two sons, if you remember from last week, Esau and Jacob. And he ends up uh, following what was God's plan and blessing his son Jacob and giving Esau what was left of a blessing. And scripture tells us in Hebrews chapter 11 that Isaac was a man of faith. He was a faith-filled individual because he lived out the promise that God had given to him and he blessed his sons. So now we, we arrive at the this next son who the promise is flowing through, and that is Jacob. And so in Genesis chapter 28, the whole story really shifts from Isaac and Rebekah and Esau and Jacob and that family dynamic to now following just the youngest of the two twin sons, Jacob, through whom God is going to continue his promise and continue blessing. And so if we look at Genesis chapter 28, starting in verses 1 and 2, we see what begins to unfold in Jacob's life. So Isaac summoned Jacob, blessed him, and commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite girl. Don't marry a local girl, Isaac. Go at once to Padanaram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father. Marry one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. So Abraham, uh, excuse me, See, you get, it's easy to get really confused all of a sudden. We got all these guys. Isaac tells his son Jacob, I don't want you to marry a local girl. I want you to go back to where our family is from, and I want you to find a cousin that you like. Um, and <laughs> Right, we, we're all of a sudden thinking, oh no, that's, that's not good. Now remember, this is part of how family units are kept together, how wealth is passed down, and inheritance is maintained within a single family, and heritage is honored by marrying within close relatives, uh, cousins, first cousins, once removed, second cousins, third cousins, uh, half-siblings. But it, it's biblical, it's still okay in this age. We, of course, understand God later does make some rules about who you can and cannot marry and uh, restricts this practice a little bit. So Isaac sends Jacob off to find a cousin that he likes to marry. And uh, here's what Isaac says to Jacob in blessing him. He says, may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you so that you become an assembly of peoples. May God give you and your offspring the blessing of Abraham so that you may possess the land where you live as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. So Isaac is praying over Jacob, blessing him, you know, saying, Jacob, I want you to have not just a minivan, but a 15-passenger van worth of kids. And, and I want you to be fruitful and multiply, and I want you to take possession of this land that God has promised to us. And 
So scripture tells us in verse 5, Isaac sent Jacob to Padanaram to Laban, son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob, and Esau. So Isaac sends Jacob off. Jacob goes back to the area of his father's, well, actually his grandfather's family, Haran, and goes to find a cousin to marry. And so, sorry, that just every time you say that, it just, it just makes me want to giggle. Uh, it's the youth pastor, you know, uh, you're not supposed to love your cousin like that nowadays. It's just not acceptable. Sorry, I was about to tell a story that a cousin I liked, but no, that's just not appropriate for church, is it? It's not, nobody needs to hear that, especially not my wife. Um, so anyway, so, <laughs> so Jacob, he goes to, uh, or he's headed off to Haran and on his journey to Haran, he has an encounter in a place that comes to be known as Bethel. So if you continue looking in chapter 28, verses 10 through 22, and so we're going to kind of read through these and then go back and review them real quick. Uh, So here's what happens. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He reached a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. He took one of the stones from the place, put it there at his head, and lay down in that place. And he dreamed. A stairway was set on the ground with its top reaching the sky, and God's angels were going up and down on it. The Lord was standing there beside him, saying, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your offspring the land on which you are lying. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out toward the west, the east, the north, and the south. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Look, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He was afraid and said, What an awesome place this is. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that was near his head and set it up as a marker. He poured oil on top of it and named the place Bethel, though previously the city was named Luz. Then Jacob made a vow. If God will be with me and watch over me during this journey I'm making, if he provides me with food to eat and clothing to wear, and if I return safely to my father's family, then the Lord will be my God. This stone that I have set up as a marker will be God's house, and I will give to you a tenth of all that you give me. So Jacob has an encounter with God as he's uh, uh, walking down the road. He reaches a certain place. He ends up spending the night. He grabs himself a nice comfy rock for a pillow, and he has a dream. And in his dream, he sees a stairway coming down to the ground from heaven, and angels were going up and down on the stairway. Now, most of us, if you've listened to any Southern Gospel at all, you would call this what? Jacob's Ladder, yeah. And, and so this is what we would commonly know as Jacob's Ladder. In fact, it's a, it's a, a theme in art. We see it in, in all kinds of, of different eras of Christian art recording this dream that Jacob has. And the question becomes, what does this mean? Well, the really simple and distinct answer is God was giving Jacob a vision, a dream that showed he was present and at work 
in Jacob's life. That Jacob and, and, and God were in interaction together through the work of the angels. And God himself comes and speaks with him in this dream. The Lord stands beside him, Yahweh, the God, the one true God. And he makes some promises to Jacob. In verses 13 through 15, we see God promise a number of different things. First, God promises Jacob that this land that he's asleep on right now will be his homeland. Now, those of you who are familiar with the geography of the Israel uh, area, you'll know that, uh, or you, you might know where Jerusalem is, or you can picture it in your mind, just kind of um, northwest of the Dead Sea and uh, west of, of uh, the Jordan River. Well, Bethel's just a little bit north of um, Jerusalem. And so God promised all of the Israeli area, that, that Canaanite homeland, that it would become Jacob and his families one day. And, and not only does he promise him that, but he says, I'm going to give you offspring like dust. Now, God has made promises to Jacob's grandfather and to his father that included offspring like the, the sands of the sea, offspring like the stars in the sky. And now it's even more it's offspring like dust. And, and you know, there's just no way to even begin to count the grains of, of dust as they blow through the air. And so God makes this promise that Jacob will be the father of many. And he tells them that all the earth will be blessed through you and through your offspring. And, and God then begins to promise him even more and says, I am with you and I will watch over you and I will bring you back to this spot. Know that I am always with you. I'm always watching over you and I will bring you back to this spot. And this is actually God himself explaining what the dream means. I am with you. I'm watching over you and I am in charge. And so this vision, this dream that you've had of angels coming up and down a staircase or a ladder shows to you exactly how involved I am in your life, Jacob. And then God makes one more promise. I will not leave you until the promise is fulfilled. And so God says, everything that I have told you will come true. And I will be present in your life until it is all fulfilled. Now, the interesting thing is, is many of these promises actually take generations to fulfill. And God is not just promising that he will be with Jacob, but that will be with Jacob's offspring and, and, and will be with those who will come after him until this promise is completed and fulfilled. And what's interesting is we know now in retrospect that the earth being blessed through the, the offspring of Jacob doesn't find its complete fulfillment until Jesus Christ. And it's in Jesus that the final blessing, the complete blessing, the, the totality of blessing pours out from God through the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob. And so Jacob, he responds by recognizing that this is a, a special place, changes the name of the place from Luz to Bethel, Beth, house, El, God, the house of God. And then he makes a vow in verses 20 through 22. Jacob promises, makes a vow, and he says this, if God is with me, watches over me, provides for me, 
and brings me home. In other words, God said he was going to do these things. And Jacob says to, back to God, if you actually do these things, then you will be my God. Now, we might think, this is interesting. You know, wasn't Jacob raised up to worship Yahweh, the one true God, the Lord of all creation? Well, yes. But what we see is, is that in both his interaction and even Isaac's interaction with God, that they kind of walked in the faith of their father until a day came where they owned their own faith and walked with God themselves. And so Jacob is acknowledging, God, you know, I'm not sure about this. Uh, I know that you've been present in my dad's life, and, and I honor you for that, and I'm thankful for your hand. But one day, if you fulfill these promises you've made to me, you will be my God as well. I will turn myself completely over to you. And, and so we, we see that this is the beginning of a change in the life of Jacob by which God will accomplish everything that he desires to bring his plan of redemption to pass. Some interesting things to know about Jacob at this point. And when we do the math, we look through the chronologies of when people lived, died, and the ages they were at certain points in their life, Jacob's age isn't given until he's much older. And so we kind of have to count backwards through the years that Scripture gives us. And at this point, Jacob, who lives uh, much longer than many of us, uh, he lives into 140s, um, at this point in time, when we do the chronology back, it seems that Jacob was 71 years old. 71 years old. And Jacob is just now getting sent out by his parents to go get married. Now, uh, so maybe that gives hope to some of us, right? <laughs> you, you older parents who are, you know, waiting for your kids to finally go out on their own. Well, maybe by their 70s, they'll manage. Um, but, you know, even in comparison to, to ages and stuff, um, if we put that in today's lifespan, Jacob would have been in his early 40s probably. And so it's important to, to look at what God does and that sometimes it takes time for things to really develop and God's plans to come to pass. And so Jacob is 71. Now, this makes good sense. His brother Esau, at this same time, already has two wives and marries a third wife in this same time frame. So a 71-year-old with three wives, Esau, versus this 71-year-old man with no wives yet, um, it, it kind of makes some sense. So Jacob continues his journey. And he continues out to where his parents told him to go, out to Laban's, and spends some time getting there. But when he finally arrives, he meets a young woman as they're watering the sheep, and her name is Rachel, and he falls in love with her because she's beautiful. It's interesting uh, how scripture describes Rachel and then her sister, Leah. Um, here's chapter 29, verse 17. Here's how Rachel and Leah, the two women that Jacob is going to end up married to, here's how scripture describes them. Leah had tender eyes, but Rachel was shapely and beautiful. Um, so, yeah, so it's, it's kind of, first, first Jacob meets Rachel, falls in love with her, goes to his uncle's household, says, I want to marry Rachel. His uncle's like, that's great. We can do that. They make a, a, a bit of a, 
a promise to one another, I'll work for you seven years to earn the privilege of marrying your daughter. Laban says, that's great, I'll give you Rachel. Uh, funny story, right? Uh, Jacob gets married, they have a big celebration, he goes into the marriage chamber, no further explanation should be necessary, and then the next morning finds out, wait, this isn't the woman I thought I was getting married to, that's weird, but, but um, it, it ends up that, that Laban tricks him, and he, he gives him his oldest daughter Leah first, even though he had worked seven years for Rachel, and, and this is where that description comes in regarding Rachel and Leah. Leah had tender eyes. She had a great personality. Uh, but Rachel was shapely and beautiful. And that's kind of Scripture's way to, of saying, yeah, it's no wonder that Jacob liked Rachel better and wanted to marry her. Now, Jacob is incensed by what his uncle has done to him. He's given him the wrong cousin. And um, so they, they, they have a bit of a dispute, and Laban and Jacob end up working out a resolution Laban says to him, after seven days and uh, the, the time of purification from, from your new marriage to your first cousin there, um, I will give you your other cousin as a wife if you'll work another seven years. So Jacob agrees. He ends up married to both sisters who are his cousins. And so it, it costs him 14 years of work in order to earn the privilege of marrying his two wives. Now, he did not intend to have two wives necessarily, but this is how it worked out. And not only did he get these two wives, but Scripture tells us that he, both of those wives came with servants. And it was not an uncommon practice for a wife to allow her servant to spend time with her husband, that the servant might have children that would be counted toward the wife's tally. And so, out of these two wives and these two wives' servants, Jacob, in these 14 years, ends up with 11 male children. So he's doing pretty good. I mean, he's to the 15-passenger van for sure. His father's blessing is coming to pass. He's almost moved up to the minibus. We have an, a student uh, that graduated from one of our ministries years ago, her, her, she and her husband, they bought a minibus a couple years ago, and they are filling that thing up. And she didn't even like the idea of kissing a guy when we were in, in, in uh, youth ministry. So that's pretty amazing. Anyway, here, here's God blessing. Here's God at work. Here's things coming to pass. 14 years of work, two wives, two wives servants, and it equals up for him 11 male children. And, and so... A, a little bit of time passes, these 14 years actually, and scripture tells us this in Genesis chapter 30. I told you we were going to be skipping, around, skipping ahead and just kind of going over the, the big picture here. After Rachel gave birth to Joseph, some of you might recognize that name, and we'll talk more about Joseph next week, Jacob said to Laban, send me on my way so that I can return to my homeland. Give me my wives and my children that I have worked for and let me go. You know how hard. I have worked for you. So Jacob is ready to move on. Jacob's ready to go back home to take his family back to the land of promise and begin life there. But Laban said to him, if I have found favor with you, stay. I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. 
Isn't this this amazing picture? We see God's promise. Remember, God promised Jacob back in that vision, back in when he was sleeping on a rock, that he was going to bless him and he was going to bless people through him. And we see that Laban, his uncle, after 14 years of Jacob working hard for him, Laban looks around and goes, I wouldn't have anywhere near what I have if it weren't for the blessing of God on the life of Jacob. And it doesn't mean that Laban was a believer because when we see uh, other places, he kind of still adheres to some of the paganism of his ancestors. But he sees that there is a God who has his hand on Jacob and God is blessing Laban because of Jacob. And so we can see right there an affirmation from uh, an outsider that God's promises, they're coming to pass. That when God says, I'm going to provide for you, when I'm going to keep you, I'm going to direct you, I'm going to bless you and bless those around you. It's true. It's happening right here in the life of Jacob. So Jacob agrees to six more years of work for Laban. They, they spend time, uh, and Jacob is shepherding for his uncle. His uncle tries to pull some tricks on him, but God still blesses both Laban and Jacob in these ensuing six years. In fact, Genesis chapter 30, verse 43 says this about Jacob. And the man became very rich. He had many flocks, female and male slaves, and camels and donkeys. And so in these six years, not only has Jacob now have, does he have the family that God has promised, but he also has the blessing, the wealth, the prosperity that God said that he would give him. And so these six years additional pass, and then Jacob just gets to the point where he can't do it anymore. Laban's attitudes towards Jacob begin to turn. And Jacob says to his wives, uh, I can see from your father's face that his attitude toward me is not the same as before. But the God of my father has been with me. You see, the promise of God that I'll be with you, that I will provide for you, I will guide you. Jacob himself sees God has been with me this whole time. That you know that with all my strength I have served your father and that he has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God has not let him harm me. We see this growth in Jacob where he's sleeping on a rock and says, if you do what you promise, I'll follow you. 14 years later, others look at Jacob and go, God is with you and is blessing you and blessing me because of you. Stay. And then just six years down the line, Jacob has matured to a point where he says, God has always been with me. He has always protected me. He has always provided for me. And now that my uncle is getting a little squirrely and I'm starting to wonder about his intentions, it might be time to go. And so here's what God says to to Jacob just a little bit later. I am the God of Bethel, where you poured oil on the stone marker and made a solemn vow to me. Now, get up, leave this land, and return to your native land. It's this beautiful, beautiful picture. God finally says, I've been with you this whole time. I've been protecting you. I've been blessing you and those around you. And now I'm going to guide you back where you belong. I'm going to guide you back home. 
And so God's timing, it, it took years. What's, what's 14 plus 6? Anybody do that math for me? 20! There we go, 20 years. 20 years it takes for Jacob to mature to a point where God says it's time to go home. 20 years of work, 20 years of wages being shifted back and forth, 20 years of, of deception on his uncle's part, 20 years of, of struggle and hard work for God to say, now it's time to go home. 20 years of maturing before Jacob comes to a place where he can say, you have been faithful to me, God. And so in these 20 years of work, Jacob leaves with wives and sons and a daughter in the mix too. Flocks and servants and donkeys and camels. How good is life, right? Donkeys and camels? I mean, that's, that's above and beyond. God has been good to Jacob. Now, we see as Jacob leaves, there's some trouble stirred up with his uncle Laban. Chapter 31, verses 22 through 55 show us how God still protects and provides for Jacob, even as he's trying to resolve the circumstances with his uncle Laban. They end up parting in fairly peaceful terms, and Jacob continues back to the land of Canaan. Chapter 32, verses 24 through 32, reveal to us that Jacob, after um, spending a day worrying about meeting back up with his big brother, well, his older brother, Esau, older by a couple seconds, brother Esau. Jacob is setting up to meet Esau, expecting Esau to be angry and upset, and then Jacob goes off to a, a hilltop to spend the night alone. And here's what it says, Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. <laughs> Sometimes scripture just, just makes me laugh. You, just, you, you think of the circumstance. Can you imagine? You're up on a hilltop. You're praying. You're doing your devotions. And all of a sudden this dude shows up. And you just start wrestling all night. What? Who does that kind of stuff? And yet we see that's what's going on with, with Jacob. And, and this man that shows up. And they wrestle through the night until daybreak. And so it, it continues here in chapter 32. We see that, that that man and Jacob wrestle until they, they really reach what seems like a stalemate. The, the man couldn't, couldn't defeat Jacob and, and Jacob couldn't defeat the man until we get to a point where the man ends up touching Jacob's hip and dislocates his hip right from the socket. And, and one would say, that's not very fair, <laughs> Right? You've been wrestling all night. I was just about ready for the suplex. And then, what do I got left? Nothing. You touched my hip. And it's out of joint. And so, Jacob, come to find out, has been wrestling with God all night. And, and God says to him, your name will no longer be Jacob. It will be Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with men. And have prevailed. God comes to him. He spends this time wrestling with him. And he says, you're not Jacob anymore. And if you remember back, Jacob got his name. It was about clutching onto the heel. It was about deception. It was about chasing after his own desires. And now his name has been changed to Israel. You've wrestled with man and God. And you have prevailed. And Jacob understands it's because God has been with him. Then Jacob asked, please tell me your name. 
But he, the man who wrestled him, answered, why do you ask my name? And he blessed him there. Lots of pronouns in there, but you see what it is, right? The angel or the Lord himself with whom Jacob had been wrestling would not tell Jacob his name, but instead simply blessed him right there. Jacob wrestles with God and God blesses him. And we see Jacob maturing. We see things coming to pass as God has promised. Jacob then named the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face. He said, yet my life has been spared. That word Peniel, it means literally face of God. And Jacob understands, I've seen God face to face, and yet he did not strike me dead like I deserved. I survived. The sun shone on him as he passed by Peniel, limping because of his hip. That is why, still today, the Israelites don't eat the thigh muscle that is at the hip socket because he struck Jacob's hip socket at the thigh muscle. Now you might go, why would scripture include something like that? Because it's true. Because it's a, what would seem to us to be a meaningless fact is actually just part of this true history of why and how and what God has done. And so the Israelites, the children of Israel, the children of Jacob, they don't eat a specific part of animals in reverence for what God did to Jacob who became Israel. Jacob, who is now Israel, makes peace with his brother Esau. It's recorded there in that chapter. And then he returns to Bethel in chapter 35, verses 1 through 15. And so we see, as he returns to Bethel, so Jacob and all who were with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, the land of, in the land of Canaan. Jacob built an altar there and called the place El Bethel, God, the house of God, because it was there that God had revealed himself to him. When he was fleeing from his brother, God appeared to Jacob again after he returned from Padanaram and he blessed him. God said to him, your name is Jacob. You will no longer be named Jacob, but your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. And so we see once again, God affirming this name change from Jacob to Israel. And so the rest of Genesis, you're going to see the, the names used interchangeably. God also said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation, indeed an assembly of nations, will come from you. And kings will descend from you. I will give to you the land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, and I will give the land to your future descendants. Then God withdrew from him at the place where he had spoken to him. So Jacob set up a marker at the place where he had spoken to him, a stone marker. He poured a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. Jacob, Jacob named the place where God had spoken with him Bethel. So we see God brings Jacob full circle from fleeing for his life from his brother and sent on a mission to find a cousin to marry. 20 years of struggle and fight. 20 years where others see God at work in him even when he did not. 20 years after which he finally recognizes God's hand had been on him the whole time. And now his name has been changed from one reminding him of deception to one that reminds him of his relationship with God. And he has a place where he has encountered God and he celebrates. God is finally his God. Yahweh is finally his God, his Lord, his master. And so we see the journey that God has taken him on. And, and what's exciting is, is now that he is worshiping God as his own. Now that he has turned things over to God, God gives him a 12th son. 
And those of you who've been in Sunday school any amount of time start recognizing in this story some things. They're coming together, aren't they? Jacob, who is Israel, and the nation that will come from him is named after him, Israel. The sons of Israel, the children of Israel, when we talk about the Jewish people, they are all descendants of this one man. And this twelfth son that he has, his name will be Benjamin. And yet, even in this circumstance, there's great grief because his beloved wife, Rachel, dies. So even someone walking in God's plans, walking in God's purpose, blessed by God, will still suffer some struggle and some heartache and defeat. So he ends up with 12 sons, 12 sons. Jacob had 12 sons. Leah's sons were Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. Rachel's sons were Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Rachel's slave Bilhah were Dan and Naphtali. The sons of Leah's slave Zilpah were Gad and Asher. These are the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padan Aram. So you see... The blessings of God are coming to pass, these 12 children. Now, we're going to follow the story further, but let me tell you, those of you who were here for the story of Exodus, to go through the the preaching of Exodus, you'll remember there were lots of children of Israel by the time we get to the beginning of Exodus. Millions of them. The promises of God coming to pass. They are sure. They are certain. God is present. God is providing. God is guiding And so really that that kind of brings us to a point where we we look at the life of Jacob. We look at this whole journey. And and while lots of interesting stuff happens, the real heart of it is that God, from the very beginning of the, the story focusing on him, had been guiding Jacob exactly where he needed to be. He took him to to Bethel and, and he showed him that, that God himself will be present in every circumstance. He took him to his uncle's house and he brought him just the right wives, though the circumstances were not quite so savory. He gave him flocks and, and camels and donkeys and servants. He blessed him, even though it cost him some real struggles and hurt. And then he brought him back to his homeland and blessed him with a twelfth son, even though he he lost his beloved Rachel in the midst of that. But all of it, every last step, we see God made a promise, and then God kept his promises. And so when we look at the life of, of Jacob, who is Israel, and we look at this list of sons that are given to him, and we look at what God is doing, this blessing is just amazing and it's flowing and it's huge and it's blessing upon blessing and and there was actually a time where Jacob struggled to believe it he struggled to acknowledge God as his own and and yet over time God proved himself God showed himself to be true God showed himself to be trustworthy and so this morning as as we talk about this this the, the lesson for us is less about Jacob and more about the God of Jacob. More about the God of Isaac and Abraham, the God of Jesus, the God that is Jesus. What's his nature like? What's his character like? What's his desire for us? 
and we look at what he did in the life of, of Jacob who becomes Israel, we can say some certain things about God. Number one, that God, God himself, guides our lives. His hands are on all of us. And he, he longs for us to be shaped, to be molded, to grow up into righteousness, to come to a place in our life where no longer we look at him and go, yeah, he's the guy to, God of somebody, maybe my parents or my grandparents. But we get to a point where he has guided us through the journey and we will say along with Jacob, you are my God. You are my God. You are the one, when I look back, I can see that you have brought me through, you have, you have kept me, you have loved me, you have blessed me. None of this would be possible apart from you. You are my God. And God continually guides us from the very beginning of who we are. Psalm 139, verses 16 through 18, the psalmist writes this, Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. God, how precious your thoughts are to me. How vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, I am still with you. God is continually present. He is continually guiding and shaping your life. Even as he knit you together in your mother's womb, the days that were to come were planned for you. Now some of us go, wait a minute, this is not the day I would have planned for me. This is not the life I would have chosen. But you have to understand that even in the planning, even as God guides, God has promised to provide. And we see it in Jacob's life. Whether he's sleeping on a stone or spending the night with the wrong cousin or, or whatever God is doing in his life, making peace between he and his uncle, he and his brother, in all of it, in all of the struggles, in all of the pains, God provided for Jacob and he will do the same for you. He will provide for you when you rely on him, when you turn to him, when you trust in him. When, when Paul writes this to the Philippian church, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. The promise is that everywhere that this plan God has for you takes you, he will provide what you need. Now, 21st century America, need has been stretched out to want. But God has promised to meet all of your needs. And when we're honest, we can say our needs are met. And needs are so much more than just the food on your table or the roof over your head. Do you understand one of the greatest things that God has given to all of us is one another? The church by which we experience his very presence his hands and his feet being worked out in our lives. God will provide all of your needs. Where he guides, he provides. And here's the even more beautiful thing is that God, as he guides and he provides, he also abides. And I know this is, this is like super Baptist of me. These all rhyme. They're not alliterated, but they rhyme. And those of you who, you know, you're, you're visiting or you don't know, you know, Baptists just like have points that rhyme or alliterate. And I don't normally do this, but today... This is what scripture said. This is what felt like we needed to hear. This is what you needed to hear today. That God is guiding you. He is ordaining your path. He has given you clear steps. It's always in accordance with his scripture. 
and it will never violate his character. And everywhere he takes you, whether it seems good or bad in the moment, he will provide for you those things that you need to make it through. And you can be confident that as he guides and he provides, he will also abide. Here's what Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus says, I'm your source. If you will live in me, I will live in you. I will be present. And know that you can do all the things that are before you when you live in me. You will bear much fruit. You will be a blessing. And you will be blessed. How cool it is to look at this, this life of Jacob. To look through this history and know that God guides and provides and abides. He gives you your footsteps. He gives you what you need to make it through. And he will always be with you. Now, what's interesting is that so many of us, we choose to simply ignore him. We push him aside. We don't care about his plans. We don't care about his provision. We don't care about his presence. We just try and do life on our own. And then we wonder why we're miserable. Instead, in trust that God guides and provides and abides, turn to him first and foremost by trusting on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. There is no doubt in my mind that God has guided all of us to this place today. And for some of us, it might very well be to understand for the first time that he provided a way for you to be made whole. You see, God tells us in his word very clearly that we were created out of love with a desire from God for relationship, but he gave us a responsibility, and that was to walk in obedience to him. But all of mankind, starting with Adam and Eve, who chose the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil over obedience to God, and continuing through each and every one of us, all of us have rebelled against God. We've all disobeyed him. We have all earned for ourselves his wrath and potential pun and punishment. But God loved us so much that he didn't want to leave us destined for separation from him and life that was broken, but he provided a way for us to come back to him. He sent his only begotten son, Jesus, perfect God, holy man, completely man, that's what I meant by holy, who lived a perfect, sinless life, died on the cross for the purpose of taking your punishment, of absorbing the wrath of God on your behalf and mine. He died, he rose again on the third day, and then he says, everyone who will believe on him will be saved from their sin and brought into this new life that God promises. God's guided you here. God has provided a means of salvation. And know that if you were to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, that God will abide with you always. He's going to take you on some crazy journeys. You might be sleeping on a rock. You might be marrying a cousin. Probably not. You might be getting cheated and swindled. You might have heartache and pain and loss. But he is still guiding and he is still providing and we can be certain beyond a shadow of a doubt that when we know Jesus Christ 
as our Lord and Savior, he will always live, abide with us. So as the worship team makes their way up this morning and we close out our time together, I just want to encourage you, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to, to consider doing so today. And there's, there's nothing magical about it, but it is taking your understanding of the gospel, coming to God and repenting, turning away from, giving up your old life, and following after Jesus as your king and rescuer. And then beginning the Christian life. Those of you who've already made that decision, you've made that profession, the life continues. Follow the guidance of the Father. Trust in the provision of your King and know that He abides with you in all things. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we we thank You so much for today. We thank You for Your Word and just the beautiful way that You worked in the life of Jacob who would become Israel. We thank You that You blessed him even when he struggled to acknowledge You. We thank You that You guided him even when he didn't see You at work. We thank You that, that... In him, we can see an example of what you would like to do in our lives as we trust in your guidance, trust in your provision, and rejoice in the fact that you are with us always. And so today, whether we need to take a, a first step and come to you in salvation through your son, Jesus, or we need to take our next step and begin to trust in you more, to put aside our own works and strivings and instead to turn life over to you and trust in your provision and to know that you really can bring us through all things, whatever our circumstance, whatever our place, wherever we are in this journey like Jacob, may we know that you guide, you provide, and when we trust in you and turn our life over to you, you promised to be with us always. this final song up to you, Lord Jesus. Just a song of celebration and sacrifice, a song of worship, where we're not going to think about ourselves, but instead to be thankful for what you've done for us. It's in your name we pray this morning. Silence.
Everybody who's going on the mission trip to West Virginia, if you would make your way up real quick. Yes, you're going to. I know, it's uncomfortable. Come on. Some of them are hiding in other places. So if you lost your baby, your son uh, is there. All right. So come on. Uh, Steve, under Coffer, would you come and uh, just pray for us and encourage um, the congregation on how we'll, the, to pray for us? We don't have to face them. We could be like, okay, let's, let's turn away so we don't have to. No. Um, all right let's pray for these folks Lord God we just lift up these, uh, this team that you have called out for this uh, specific task today and for this week that you would use them to bless many people that new people will hear the gospel that have not heard it before that you would allow them to be a light in a dark place. That they would learn to serve you with humility even when they get on each other's nerves. Lord, let them partake in your nature and to learn you more deeply. Lord, I pray this prayer of blessing upon them. We do pray that you bring them back safely to us, but also to a task to accomplish all the tasks that you set before them. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.